0: We are continuing our series, our Advent series, called Oh, Family Christmas Tree. And we're taking these few weeks to explore Jesus' family tree. And we have a T on there from last week, and I'm going to add our new letter. It's an R. Does anybody want to guess? Guess? Anybody? Oh, who was that? Oh, Rahab! Hey, someone looked ahead or someone is just really smart and knows. Oh, the T does look like Tracy. No. Oh, we could have been spelling Tracy. I think, guys, we missed a moment, and we should be spelling Tracy. Let's put this on and hope it doesn't fall off. Okay, that was a lot more stressful than I thought it was going to be. Okay, great. We might have to adjust that later. Okay, great. Uh, Last week, the T stands for Tamar, not Tracy. Pastor Tracy brought an excellent word for us about Tamar. And if you haven't listened to it, I honestly, I think I say this often, but go back, find it on YouTube, go back and listen to it. You won't regret it. It was an excellent, excellent message. And um, it's a little bit PG-13, so just be aware of that. Oh, I need to adjust my mic. Okay, there we go. Is that better? great. This week we're going to keep it. I think it's PG. I think we could maybe even say G, but stick with PG just to be careful. But we're we're going to come away from Tracy's scandal last year or last Sunday with Tamar. As we learned last week, there are only five women listed in the genealogy of Jesus. So when they're there, you pay attention because they're obviously been included there for a purpose. So we're going to look at the second woman, Rahab, and let's just read where she falls in the genealogy in Matthew one one to five. All of our scriptures today are in U version. They'll be on the screen. Oh, I shouldn't say all of them. At one point, you might have to follow along in the Bible in front of you, but you can find all of the references in our YouVersion app. Matthew 1, 1 1-5. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zariah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Amminadab, Amminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Amminadab is also really fun to say, so later over lunch you should all say it to each other because it's fun to say. The account of Rahab reminds me... Last week, Pastor Tracy said Tamar was a bit like a soap opera or a telenovela. I think that... Telenovela, yes, that is true. I did say that. You all know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. They're amazing, and they're full of drama, and they're nonsense, and it would never happen in life. And that's how I feel like the story of Tamar is. Rahab feels a bit more Hollywood-esque to me. Have you, do you know this story? There's like drama. It would be like Rahab risked it all to save her family and there'd be like smoke in the background and then like, like a, a title sequence would go. Like it would make a really great movie or it would make a really good like trailer maybe. That's what I'm picturing. I'm picturing a really good trailer for that. The Bible is woven together to tell one seamless story that points us all to Jesus. So today we're going to look at how Rahab tells us the story of Jesus and points us To him, to understand her story, I find it helpful to go back and find where she falls in the Old Testament. The story of Rahab falls at the tail end of the the Israelites wandering in the desert in their journey into the Promised Land. The journey to the Promised Land began in Egypt, where the Israelites were an enslaved people that were being brutally oppressed. We read in Exodus 3, 7-8, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Using Moses, God led the Israelites through signs and wonders and miracles to the edge of the promised land. They were there. It was time for them to embrace that promise. And so they were instructed to send 12 spies into the land to scope it out, to figure out what they needed to do, what was next. And two of those spies, Joshua and Caleb, came back and said, It is hard, but God is with us. We can do it. Let's do it. And 10 of them came back and said, peace out. No way. We should not be doing this. There's no way that we can take this land. It's too hard. And they convinced the people to not proceed into the promised land. And so as punishment for that, God said, that's fine. None of you will enter the promised land. And he sent them to wander for 40 years for that generation to die off. Super fun times. Super fun time. So Moses was still leading the people at that time. While they turned around, they were like on the cusp of the promise. Like it was there. Like they could probably wave at Canaan and be like, hey, we're coming. No, they were turned around to go back through the desert for 40 years with Moses still leading them. And then Moses disobeyed God and was disobedient. And he also was now banned from entering the promised land as punishment. And this is where we find the story of Rahab. At the end of that 40 years of wandering, at the end of 40 years of punishment for their disbelief, for their unfaithfulness, for their lack of trust, we find Rahab. Joshua 1.1 says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aide, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your, this, my servant Moses is dead, now then. Meaning, the time has come. The disobedience and the punishment has passed. It is time to come in to your promise. And this is where we see Rahab. Joshua 2, this will not be in your version, but you can read along with me. Um, it's a little long to fit on. It is a new version, sorry. It's not on the screen in front of you. Here we go. Joshua 2, starting at verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim, Go over into the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. And she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. "'Go after them quickly, you may catch up with them.' "'But she had taken them up to the roof "'and hidden them under the stalks of flax "'she had laid out on the roof. "'So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road "'that leads to the fords of the Jordan, "'and as soon as the pursuers had gone out, "'the gate was shut.' Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what he did in Sion and Og and the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mothers, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. And she said, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourself there three days until they return, and then go on your way. Now the the men said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers, and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them but you tell but if you tell what we are doing we will be released from the oath you made us swear agreed she replied let it be as you say and then we're going to jump over to Joshua 6 and see the end of this. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times. This is the Israelites. In the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that it, that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. Jump down to verse 20. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the walls collapsed. So everyone charged straight in and took the city. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, go into the prostitute's house and bring her out and all who belong to her in accordance with your oath to her. So the young men who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her entire family and placed them outside the camp of Israel. Don't you see it now? Do you see the movie? Like the falling and the smoke and the intrigue and the scarlet cord and the lowering down. You see it, right? It's exciting. There's so much going on in this story. And I love this because in the middle of the Israelites' rescue, God takes a moment out and he rescues a prostitute and her family. Jewish tradition says that Rahab was among one of the four most beautiful women that ever were known on this earth. The other three are Sarah, Abigail, and Esther, if you need to know them. I would need to know that. <clears throat> Some say that she's a, she was a really shrewd businesswoman. She owned her own business. It was a business. It was a business. She had her own home. She had security. She cared for her family. She was beautiful. She had it all together. They, the Jewish tradition speaks very, very highly of Rahab. So was it her beauty and her intelligence that allowed her to speak up, to speak boldly, and allow her to secure the rescue from her family? No. I don't think we'd be talking about her today if that was the case. It wasn't Rahab's beauty. It wasn't her ability to speak eloquently. It wasn't her intelligence. It wasn't her shrewd business sense. It was her belief and fear of the Lord that saved her and her family that day. She was rescued not because of who she was, but because of who she believed God was. It didn't matter if she was beautiful or good at business. There were probably, uh, not according to Jewish tradition, but You know, there was probably other more beautiful women in that city. There was probably smarter people in that city. There was probably a whole other good enough people that God could have rescued if that was the standard. But that wasn't the standard. Rahab wasn't rescued because of who she was or anything on her outward appearance. She was rescued because she chose to align her faith with the God of the Israelites. Reports about the miracles we have read had come into the city of Jericho and the people were afraid. They knew what was coming. They had heard the reports. They knew that the God of Israel was powerful. He could do great things. And he was coming for them. Imagine that. He was coming for them. Their families, everything. And they knew what the Israelites did. When they came to a city, they didn't leave people behind. They desolated everything. Rahab knew what was coming for her. And it would have been really, really easy when the king came to her to say, "'Yeah, the spies are upstairs.'" just go up there, I hit them up there for you. It would have been so easy for her to trust in what she knew. She knew her king, she knew the walls of the city, she knew the people that she lived with. It would have been so easy for her to trust in what she knew in the physical world, that she had a king who was trying to solve this problem. But something in Rahab caused a different response. She assist, assessed the, the situation and understood what was really at work. There was no earthly power that could stand against the God of the Israelites, and she understood that. And she came to understand that the only way to truly save her family was to align herself with that God. She put her life and the lives of her family into the care and trust of a heavenly God and not an earthly God who could, or king who couldn't save them. Rahab took a step outside of what she had known, and trusted in what she now knew to be true. She had new information, and she adjusted her course. Before, she didn't know. She lived her life, she served a king, she lived in a walled city, but she saw what was coming. She had new information and she understood she needed to make a different choice. She wasn't bandwagon jumping like some of you World Cup fans. I won't point fingers. It's happening. I know it is. That wasn't what she was doing. She wasn't just hitching her wagon to the next best shot. I think she saw and she understood who God was, and that was what she wanted for herself. Imagine the faith and trust it took for Rahab to do what she did, to sever ties with her king, with the people that she had grown up living with. She, she literally turned her back completely on her old life to embrace the God of the Israelites. She had to believe above everything. She had to be fully convinced that this God was true. Because if not, what she had done, if it had come out, if the Israelites didn't destroy the city and the king found out what she had done, would have guaranteed the destruction of her and her family. Because treason wasn't treated kindly back then. If you've read the story of the New Testament, nothing was gentle about punishment back then. She had to believe fully and completely That this was the right course because this was the one and true God. Imagine the fear. Can you imagine the fear? They knew the Israelites were coming. The Israelites had been marching around the city. Things had been happening. The city of Jericho, I'm sure it was battening down its hatches. Is that a thing? I don't know. They were shoring up their walls. They were making sure the gates were closed. They were doing everything they could to prepare for the siege. That They knew what was coming. And there was Rahab. Gathering her family into her house, not not probably doing any of the the precautions the rest of the city was doing. She gathered her family in and she huddled in her house and waited. Can you imagine the fear of sitting there waiting for an army to come and destroy you and trusting that the, the God you have aligned yourself with is the God that will save you? Imagine that. We read these stories in the New Testament like stories, and they're written that way to help us understand them. But they weren't just stories. Jericho was a real, literal, actual city. You can go visit its rubble today. And historical evidence shows that the walls of the city literally fell. They can tell by the way the rubble fell, that the city of Jericho actually fell. This actually happened. Jericho was real, the city fell, and Rahab was real. And she took her family and huddled in that house... And put her faith in a God that she had never met before. Because she understood that this was her way out because he was real. I wonder if they gathered in that house and the walls were falling around them. Her house would have been falling because it was built into the walls of the city. And I wonder if she was whispering to her family, just remember Remember the stories of what that God did. Remember the promise. Remember who that God is. We have a covenant with him. Just stay silent. Just wait. Our rescue is coming. Just wait. I'm, I'm using artistic license, but I can picture it. In my head, I can only imagine that some of the people in that house, all they wanted to do was get out of that house and flee. They wanted to grab a sword. They wanted to secure their own rescue. They wanted to go and save themselves. But no, Rahab told them, no, we have to sit and wait. Our rescue is coming to us. Rahab had done her part. She had aligned herself with the one true God. She had confessed her belief in him. She had received instruction on what to do. She had done everything she could do to save her family. And now the only thing she could do was to sit and wait for that rescue to come. I find this so relatable. How often do you want to take up your cause and fix it yourself? All the time. All the time. If you're a fixer, all the time, right? You see a problem, you have a problem in your life, you want to work it out to figure out the solution. That urge comes to just fix it. And when that urge comes, I think from now on, I'm going to have this vision of Rahab huddled in a house with her family, saying, just wait. We know who our God is. We know who we've aligned ourselves with. Just wait. The rescue is coming. And I'm not saying that Rahab didn't do anything to secure her rescue. She absolutely did. She declared with her mouth who she believed in. She followed the instructions the Lord had given her. So I think... I think I'm going to ask myself the next time I find myself wanting to fix it. Have I surrendered the situation to the Lord? Have I asked him to intervene? Is there anything he's asking me to do right now? Do I need to confess something? Do I need to forgive something? Do I need to take a step of obedience? And if not, then perhaps my job is to sit and wait for God to do what he said he was going to do, which is rescue us. The Israelites weren't idle while Rahab was sitting for her rescue. God wasn't not doing anything, the Israelites were at work, they were preparing, they were circling the city, they were coming in and doing what God had asked them to do. God was working to secure Rahab's rescue while she was being instructed to sit and wait. There was things going on that she couldn't see, but yet she was called to trust and wait. There are times to be bold in the Lord and go out and do the thing he's asked you to do, and there are times to sit and trust and wait that God is working. And in those times, I just want to be clear. I'm not call, saying we do nothing. In those times of sitting and wasting, that's when we go to our knees. That's when we pray like we've never prayed before. I'm sure that uh, Rahab, who probably maybe didn't know how to pray to the God of Israel, I'm sure they were praying to the God of Israel, reminding him of the promise that they had and the covenant they had made with his people in those times of sitting and waiting, you engage in spiritual warfare like you never have before because God is fighting your battles for you. He is fighting your battles for you. And he's not fighting them because you are good enough, because you're pretty enough, because you're smart enough, because you read the right book, because you took the right course, because you did the right thing. He's doing it because he loves you, because you declared your faith and trust and hope in him. Have you ever thought, who am I that God should care anyways? God's not going to step in and rescue the situation. Look at all the things I've done. I'm the reason that we're in this problem in the first place. I'm sure of it. I did all of these things wrong. God doesn't care. He doesn't care what you did. He doesn't care where you've been. He didn't care that Rahab was a prostitute. He didn't care that she was a foreigner. He cared that she confessed with her mouth that she believed in the God of Israel and that she trusted In him more than anything in the world that he was going to rescue her Rahab's past didn't diminish her rescue or make her less worthy of it because God doesn't rescue us when we've made ourselves perfect he doesn't rescue you when you finally deserve it when you've got a hold of that thing that has been binding you up for so long I've got it under control God now come in and do your thing that's not how it works He comes in when you're still wrestling with that thing. Rahab wasn't perfect. Her family wasn't perfect. Nothing was perfect about that. Her profession back then still was not ideal, okay? Nothing was perfect about that situation except for who God was. His perfect plans and times and will were. And that's how we come to God. Broken, hurting, confused, wondering why. We don't have to have it all together. God has it all together. Not only did God rescue Rahab and her family, he brought her in close. After the city had fallen and the dust had settled and Rahab and her family were brought, they were brought outside the Israelites' camp, which would have been the custom according to the tradition and law. They were not Israelites, so they would remain outside of the camp. But Rahab didn't stay there. Rahab didn't stay outside of the camp. Rahab was brought into the family. She became one of the family tree. She is listed in the line of kings. From her comes David, and from him comes the King of Kings, the Messiah. God didn't keep her at an arm's distance. He didn't keep her far away. He brought her in close to have a relationship, and to forever, for all time, she exists in this historical record as one of the lineage of Jesus. He didn't keep her for at a distance. He brought her in close. At some point, Rahab marries Salmon. I just, I love that name. Every time I'm like, no, that's his Salmon. Okay, good. <laughs> just, did I say it? No, nope, got it. Okay, right. Marrying, she married into the tribe of Judah in the line of the Messiah. And I'm not an overly romantic person. I, I, I like a good romance story, but I'm not, like, you can ask my husband. Like, yeah, he agrees. <laughs> My favorite gift I ever got, aside from any homemade ones that my children have made for me, was the year that Matt got me um, a battery-powered weed eater from my backyard. Like, seriously, guys. That was next level for me. I still have it. It still works. It still brings joy to my heart every time I turn it on. Okay? For Christmas this year, I really, really need a new hairbrush. I've sent you an Amazon link. I'm not joking. It's really what I want. Could I buy it myself because it's $15.99? Yes, I could. Will I be so happy Christmas morning if it's in my stocking? Yes, I will. Thank you very much much. I'm just saying, I just need to lay this out for you, that I'm not a very romantic person, particularly, but Who's with me on this? How much do you want Salmon to have been one of the spies that was sent into the city? Come on. We have no way of knowing. The Bible doesn't say. It says they're young man. Rahab was maybe getting up there in age a little bit. Whatever, we don't need to judge. Um, But I so want Salmon to have been one of the spies. The romance of it all. It's not, okay, so I said like Hollywood movie. We could also make a Hallmark movie out of this, right? So like Salmon and Rahab lock eyes across. the like. There's like smoke and things. And then he reaches out and touches her hand. And in that moment, they know. They know. You want to write that with me? Yes. Yes. Okay. So, so that's so off topic, but serious things, serious things. Salmon should be one of the spies. Okay, great. I love the story of Rahab because there's just so much in it. You can make it fit your own personal. If you need a Hollywood action movie, or if you need a little Hallmark movie, it's there for you. Rahab has it all for you. (laughs) Anyways, that's off topic. No matter who Salmon was, God didn't leave Rahab in her sin. He saw her belief and he brought her in closer. Aside from Mary, the mother of Jesus, none of the women listed in the lineage of Jesus had it all together. We have incest, we have prostitution, we have adultery, we have another foreigner. And even Mary carried the stigma of looking like an unwed mother. And yet each of them sits recorded, not glossed over, as part of the line of Jesus. Rahab's legacy of faith doesn't end with Joshua 2. Scripture directs our attention back to her three times. First, in the lineage that we read. Second, she resides in the chapter of heroes of the faith. Hebrews 11.31, By faith the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. She's included in the list of heroes because her faith was so strong. James 2.25 also talks about Rahab. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off on a different direction? There are commenter- commentators that want to brush over the fact that she was a prostitute. They want to say she was an innkeeper. They don't want that ugly part of her to be included. But Every scripture calls her that. There's no getting around it. And it didn't define who she was. That's who she was. That's not who God saw her to be. He saw the prostitute, but He saw her belief and her faith, and He took her and became one of the family members in the line of Christ. Who you are does not define who you will be. It's so good don't live with your past. It doesn't have to define you. Christian, follower of Jesus, I'm speaking to you too, not just those who are still coming to that knowledge. If you are a follower of Jesus and you still believe the lie of who you were before you knew him, that is a lie. God doesn't see that. He doesn't want that for you. He wants freedom for you and he wants to rescue from that so you can understand that you are a chosen child of God. Who you were, when you confess it, when you lay it before him, does not define your future and it does not define your path. The scriptures, the New Testament scriptures tell us over and over again that we need to be rescued and Jesus came to do that. God has been working at rescuing his creation since the captivity, uh, from captivity since the Garden of Eden. The term salvation that we're talking about often when we talk about relationship with Jesus literally means rescue. Rahab was rescued in that line in Jesus. It points that he is coming. He was coming to rescue us. Galatians 3.22 says, But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin, so we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Galatians 1.3-4, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. Colossians 1, 13 to 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. These three scriptures and many more, but these three specifically point us to the fact that we were captive and lost in our sin, and God sent his son, Jesus, to rescue us. The same God that rescued Rahab is the same God that comes and rescues us today. We are all lost to our sinfulness. There is a longing in all of our hearts for that thing that we're missing, that thing that separates us from relationship with God. And that thing is Jesus. The plan is Jesus, who came as a baby, being fully man and fully God, took on the sin of the world to rescue you from the consequences of your own sinfulness. You know, it's no coincidence that Jesus, the Messiah, died and was resurrected during the Jewish Passover celebration. Do you know what Passover is? Passover is a Jewish celebration of the Israelites' rescue from Egypt. As the Jewish people were celebrating their physical rescue from captivity, God was literally working out a spiritual rescue for all of mankind. It is no accident. It was not coincidence. God was working all this from the time of Rahab into the time of Jesus, and he is still working it today. It is no accident that there is a a rescue in his lineage because God has come to rescue every single one of us. In sending Jesus and sending Christ, God sent a rescue party to redeem you from sin and judgment. God wasn't ashamed to include Rahab in the line of the Messiah, and he's not ashamed to be called your God. Let me say that one more time for you if you need to hear it again. No matter what your past was, and by past I mean 10 years ago, a week ago, a day ago, last night, or this morning. God was not ashamed to call Rahab include Rahab in the family line because of who she was, and he is not ashamed to call you a child of God. When we confess our sins, when we surrender, when we leave it all to him, he comes in and he rescues us. Romans 10, 9 says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. That is your rescue story. The same God that rescued Rahab says right here in romans 10 that you too can be rescued nothing can exclude you from the gift of grace pastor tracy and the team are going to come and they're going to lead us in a oh actually it might just be pastor tracy i'm not sure she's going to lead us in a newish song by elevation called same god it's one of my favorite songs i listen to it on repeat and it says something like this i'm just going to highlight some of the words for you it says i'm calling on the god of jacob whose love endures through generations I know that you will keep your covenant. I'm calling on the God of Moses, the one who opened up the ocean. That's some artistic license, we understand, it's fine. I need you now to do the same thing for me. Oh God, my God, I need you, I need you now. I'm standing on your faithfulness. I'm calling on the God of Mary, whose favor rests upon the lowly. I know with you all things are possible. I'm calling on the God of David, who made a shepherd boy courageous. I may not face Goliath, but I have my own giants. And this is the part I love so much that I think ties in this message so beautifully. You are the same God as you were back then, you will be right now. You were faithful back then, you are faithful now. You freed the captives then and you're freeing captives now. You're freeing hearts right now because you are the same God. This song just so eloquently expresses this message to me. The same God that redeemed Tamar's story the same God that rescued Rahab, the same God that was with David that we're gonna hear about next week is the same God that lives and moves and breathes and lives to be in relationship with you. He came to rescue you. The same God that had the power to collapse the walls of Jericho with nothing but a shout and a trumpet sound is the same God that wants to reach into your situation and change it for you. He wants to come and heal your heart. He wants to heal the relationship. He wants to fix that addiction that just has such a hold on you, the anger, the hurt, the bitterness, all of it. The God that collapsed walls with nothing but noise is the God that wants to come in and collapse the walls around your heart and he can because he's the same God that part of the Red Sea is the the same God that lives and moves and breathes and he is here for you. He is here for you. I have been there when it has seemed too hard that I can't do it, that my life is such a mess and I don't know how I got here. And I remember that he was the God that was with me the first time I confessed with my lips that Jesus was Lord. And I felt that release and joy and that freedom he is that same god that was there in that moment when he was when my life was an absolute mess and he wanted to do that same thing that he did that day we're going to take some time and we're going to sing and we're going to open up the altars if there are things in your life that you need god to do something in you need some walls to come down you need addictions to be broken you need relationships to be healed you need thoughts and attitudes to be adjusted you need depression and anxiety to be dealt with in jesus name we're going to make time for that today because the same god that set the captain's free all the way back then wants to set you free from the things that are holding you back in your life right now lord i thank you for your faithfulness i thank you god that you rescued a prostitute all the way back then to remind us today that you are the god that rescues us that you don't care where we've been you don't care what our past looks like you care about a relationship with us and you made the way through jesus your son we don't take it for granted and we thank you for the opportunity to come and spend time in your presence god i pray if there are things in my heart and in the hearts of those online in the room That you would bring them to the surface god and i pray god that you would meet us that you would work and move in our hearts and lives that you would bring freedoms to the spiritual captivity of our lives and that as we wait for you to move we will understand that you are moving and that you are with